0: Guys, it's Jonathan Suber again, and we are just kind of entering into this season—Advent season, Christmas season, um, Xmas, whatever you want to call it—a um, lot of theology behind that as well. But we just wanted you to. Uh, kind of walk with us to a journey the next few weeks. My mind is really on this season going into this time of the year. Uh, the next few weeks, just celebrating. I love leaning into the theology of the incarnation. I love leaning into um, the Messianic prophecies that came when Jesus is born. I love the whole theology behind Jesus being the expressed image of the invisible God, being the son of God, being the God man, being God manifest in the flesh and all these different sundry, different biblical terms. And theological concepts, I absolutely love that. But today, I'm going to go back pre-story, and we're going to deal with uh, some things that happens uh, in the Gospels at the beginning, at the birth of Jesus, and really not from the Christmas perspective. We'll be doing that the next few weeks on some things, but more from a ministry perspective, um, and just kind of walking through that. Um, I was asked by a mentor years ago, I probably 22 or 23. Um, one of my mentors was Bishop T.F. Tenney uh, from Louisiana. And and I remember I go back because, you know, I started uh, preaching at 14. I, my testimony, you know my testimony. I saw blind eyes open, a lady completely blind when I was 14. Then in Africa with my parents in the morgue, I saw a man that had been dead, uh, completely dead in the morgue, naked, raised back from the dead. Um, kind of a big deal at 17. And, and was full of faith, come home at 18, full of vim, vigor, vitality, had way more energy and anointing than I had knowledge, um, but just whole hog gung ho for the Lord. Um, and, and in that, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, um, by the time I was 22, I'd actually preached revivals where hundreds had got saved. I had been in different nations and preaching things and whatever. And 22, 23, just full of so much zeal. And I'll never forget Bishop Tenney sitting down with me and he asked me this question. He said, my biggest concern for you is can you survive the ministry of the mundane? And I didn't understand it at the point because you have to understand my concept at 22 or 23, especially being a missionary's kid and then thinking things maybe a lot bigger than they really were because here I am kind of isolated for several years. And then I'm hearing about all these great revivals and great ministries and listening to tapes. Back then we actually had Cassette tapes and people would send us cassette tapes. I was listening to that and and <laughs> we were Pentecostals so we couldn't watch TV. And that's before we were even allowed to watch videos. So I didn't know about Christian TV and a lot of the Crusades, but I heard about it. I saw pictures like T.L. Osborne Crusades. I saw the books, the pictures, whatever. And so I had stars in my eyes. I mean, stadiums, TV. I think I was. 15 or 16, when I started planning on preaching on TV, you know, kind of visualizing myself being a a televangelist and kind of the old A.A. Allen and Jack Coe and T.L. Osborne, Kenneth Hagin, whatever, just kind of that thing. Some of the people that you emulated and people that you respected, the old fashioned in the 50s, the faith healers. And my background and my circle kind of was against a lot of that, but I was fascinated with like William Branham and A.A. Allen and some of these guys. So I had all those conversations. Concepts, And now that I have grown and been in ministry 43 years and in 59 business years old, um, I've learned that that question meant so much. And so I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk about the ministry of the mundane. And Bishop kind of did it this way. He said, my concern for you is that at 22, 23, you're as anointed as you're probably ever going to get, but you're going to have to live and get a maturity that matches your anointing. You're going to have to grow into the maturity. You have a ministry, but you're going to have to grow into the maturity to be able to handle that ministry. I did not understand that. I did not understand at that time that God reveals the promise and normally hides the process. Look at Joseph. Look at David. Look at the cave of Adullam. Look at the life of Jesus. Um, But I, I didn't really know that. I wasn't mature enough at that time. So I just want to get into that because it makes sense now because I understand things now, but I didn't really look at it when I was first called to preach. I really didn't understand that the symbol of ministry, Jesus's symbol for ministry was a towel that should give us kind of a clue that when he's talking ministry, he's talking servanthood. But today, and, and especially in, in, in the last culture of, as we know, current church culture, that's about 75 years old. You have the name and claim it the word of faith. You have all this stuff. So you have prosperity. You have people that especially in ministry, you know, if you don't have a Rolex and a $10,000 ring and you're not flying a private jet, then you don't have a ministry. And then we got into the church growth culture that if you're not having multiple services, if you don't have multiple campuses, whatever, whatever, and we gained success when Jesus literally viewed success through the lens of a towel and through the lens of a cross. So I think it ought to very much, a towel doesn't speak a lot about earthly success um, and taking up a cross is really not a good sales pitch. I think it's hilarious because a lot of times in Christianese, we say, oh, come follow Jesus. He'll give you your best life. And then Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And it it just kind of clashes at times. And the modern version of Western European style ministry views success differently than most of my missionary friends, my colleagues, some of the guys I was raised with. I know one of my dad's sons in the gospel there were two Michaels which you would call Michel they were French so they were Michel with one L so Michel uh Michel 1 and the Michel 2 which was de is two Michel 2 could not speak French or English he only spoke dialect he had a new testament in that dialect He was so anointed of God that my dad literally went and witnessed as he has walked into those old West African hospital wards where people were so sick, so possessed. And as he would walk down praying and believing, people start taking the IVs out of their arms or whatever, and people start just getting healed in the hospital wards by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when my dad was telling me, and I'm just fascinated by hearing these testimonies, I think that went on in Benin is where that was. I was fascinated. My dad said son what i what you don't know is the man couldn't speak french or english he had a third grade education and he wasn't wearing shoes so he's just got on tattered pants a shirt a tie and barefoot walking in the hospital by the power of the gospel. These signs shall follow them that believe. And that's kind of a little different view of success than what I was raised to get into. So when Bishop, I know he's using wisdom at that time to tell me, he said, son, you've seen some success. You've had doors open. You've preached in large churches. You've seen miracles. You've seen all this flashy, sensational stuff. But what I really want to know is, can you survive? Can you endure? Can you learn from the ministry of the mundane? And so it's this time of year, and, and I just want to use the backdrop of the Advent story, the backdrop of the Messiah coming to their world. And I want to talk about this. I want to use three examples real quick about the ministry. I want to make sure you get that the ministry of the mundane. Do you know what mundane is just the days where there's nothing flashy, nothing sexy, nothing sensational. It's the ministry of the cross. It's the ministry of the towel. Um, and I think it's interesting because the nativity narrative and the aftermath that follows gives us so much insight in Luke two 25. Let's talk about the first, First one, Luke 2, 25 to 31, we're introduced to this elderly dude by the name of Simeon. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout waiting. And I love what the NLT says, eagerly waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So you're looking at somebody that was elderly in the temple that had been waiting for years, eagerly waiting every day. For years, he had been disappointed, but his disappointed had not dissipated his anticipation for the promise that God had spoken. And he had knew in his spirit that he would not die. I love this. It had been revealed to him, verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. You all know the Lord's Lord's Messiah, Elohim's Messiah. So he came by the Spirit into Jerusalem. He came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. This is the thought of the ministry of the mundane. Can you imagine living your whole life for the fulfillment of one word from the Lord? Why are we so, in today's culture, one thing that confuses me, maybe y'all can help me, you're smarter than me, many of you have way more education and ministry than I do. Why is it that people need so many words from the Lord nowadays? I mean, if you study the book of Genesis, one word from the Lord caused creation to happen. And nowadays people have a word from the Lord. Oh, the Lord told me to turn right. The Lord told me to turn left. Well, I didn't need the Lord to tell me to turn right. There's a, there's a little sign that's pointing at the red light. What if the Lord gives you a word. That is your life's direction. Are you willing to serve faithfully? And I think that's the thing that just gets me with Simeon. He was eagerly waiting, even though he should have been disappointed. He should have been, hey, it hasn't happened yet. It's never going to happen. No one else is looking for it. Why should I be looking for it? But because the Holy Spirit moved on him and he went to the temple at the right time, he's who was able to hold the Messiah. This This Jesus, this God manifest in the flesh, he was able to hold him and his arms and give praise and worship according to your word. He didn't just wait. He eagerly anticipated the promise. Maybe there's someone right now, you have a sure word from the Lord, but you've been in that long delay. You've been in that long wait. I want to ask you, can you survive the ministry of the mundane without getting bitter? Can you survive the ministry of the mundane being faithful without being fruitful? Can you literally hold on eagerly, excitingly every day, knowing that God said it, if God said it, it's going to come to pass. I know we sing an old song, if God said it, I believe it. But whether you believe it or not, if God said it, it shall come to pass. Um, What about in Luke 2, 36? So so one of my favorite, I love Simeon, but honestly, every time this year I have to talk about Anna. I love talking about the prophetess Anna, Um, the prophetess Anna, the daughter of Penuel, tribe of Asher. She was very old, lived with her husband seven years after a marriage, then was a widow until she was 84. She never, this verse 37 messes me up. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Never left the temple, prayed and fasted all the time, coming up to them at that very moment, coming up to them. You talk about being quickened. I think the King James says coming in an instant coming in an instant. Are we that sensitive that after waiting years at 87 years old, that we could be that uh, in tune with the Holy Spirit, that we're that excited? So many people I know in ministry, so many people in business and life, in church, people that have served a few years, especially post-COVID, so many people are jaded. So many seem so bitter. So many seem so upset because what they wanted, what they were pursuing, their level of success just hasn't happened. And I've talked a lot about disappointed. They're not only disappointed, now they're disillusioned. But we're looking at somebody that had been living and serving the Lord her entire life, coming to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She had no agenda listen to this. She had no agenda but to be in the presence of God day and night. And God used somebody like that that literally had no agenda but his presence. Said, okay, I'm about to reveal to you, you love my presence so much, I'm about to show you God manifest in the flesh. Lord, let me be so hungry for your neck, so hungry for what you're trying to do in the earth next, that you would present it to me and let me hold it in my arms. Not because I have an agenda, because I want it to be the will of God. I wrote this in my notes. It was to someone like this, that the Messiah was revealed, yet the same revelation was hidden and rejected by kings and priests. In this same scenario, you have to understand, in this same story, Jesus is rejected not only by the king, he's rejected by priests. He's then later on rejected by the Pharisees, and she had no agenda except to believe the will of God. Wow. I, want, I love that how King James says it, coming in an instant, coming in an instant. Lord, after 43 years of ministry, I want to be so hungry. I want to be so ready that when you're going to do this new thing in the earth, I don't want to be bitter and jaded and old and back here. Uh, antiquated and back here in the background somewhere. No, Lord, I want to be ready, fresh in your presence, praying and fasting, pure, being ready to handle, because that's what she did. She literally handled that thing that God had put in her spirit. She literally, coming to them at that moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke. She prophesied about the child and all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And that takes me to the main text today, because I want to talk to you about this carpenter. So we have Simeon you have Anna but I'll end this this ministry mundane I can't get away from this and I talk about it a lot so if you've heard this forgive me what about Joseph the carpenter the man that married Mary Mary was full of the spirit expecting a child from the Holy Ghost you all know that story the incarnation it's incredible but yet Joseph was willing to handle the stigma He wasn't at first he was going to put her away, but he was literally able. He was an ordinary man with an ordinary life engaged to an ordinary girl but he was given the most extraordinary task in history. Did you just hear what I said? There are people right now that you think you are ordinary. There is nothing special about you, your education, your looks, your family, your finances, your career, your talent, your ability. There's nothing special. Neither was there about Joseph, except he was willing to obey. The ministry of the mundane has more to do with obedience than it does anointing. It has to do with more the long term. The long game, some would say. Here's the thing about this that got me. Not only was Joseph asked to believe the literal impossible, he was asked to believe that this little fiance he was engaged to was pregnant or expecting by the Holy Ghost. Not only was he asked to believe that impossible, but he was tasked to yoke himself with a stigma. Stay with me. I call it the stigma of the supernatural, a stigma that would follow him his entire life. We don't know how long he lived. He did die early on, but he had a stigma. The rest of his life that he had gotten Mary pregnant and that they lied and said that she got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He lived with that his entire life. My question is, before you can survive the long game of the ministry of the mundane, are you able to handle the stigma of the supernatural? So many people want to tell me, Oh, I'm anointed. I'm called. I'm set apart. I'm chosen. And many times I want to laugh because I'm like, if you're not willing to be mocked and laughed at to walk alone, to live alone, lonely existence, following the Holy Spirit, you probably won't make it in the long game because there is something called the stigma of the supernatural. Here's the thing. The savior of the world to the rest of us was simply called an illegitimate child when it came to Joseph. We call Jesus savior. But when people look at Joseph, they called him illegitimate. He didn't live to see the resurrection We can't find any historical proof that he even lived to see, maybe, but we can't find any proof that he even lived to see the first miracle of Jesus at the marriage of Cana. It is possible that Joseph lived and died with nothing but a promise. Oh man, makes does that make sense? It is possible. That the carpenter Joseph lived and died with nothing but a promise, yet fulfill one of the greatest tasks accomplished in history. Matthew 121. This is Joseph. Are you with me? Matthew 121. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You see, this is what the angel declared. If Joseph had not been willing to embrace the stigma, if Joseph had not been willing to embrace this Fear, this confusion, this, I'm sure it was just blowing his mind. If he had not been faithful in spite of being fearful, there would have been no other man to name the child Jesus because. In the law and Jewish culture, only the father or the nearest male relative had the responsibility and privilege to name the child. If Mary had gone somewhere else and if he had put her away privately or if he had not taken this responsibility, then her family that the angel did not appear to would have given Jesus a family name because they did not know what the angel said. Only Joseph knew the saving name. If Joseph had refused the opportunity afforded to him by the angel Gabriel, then Mary's father, grandfather, brother, or uncle, whichever one was alive in the patriarch of the family, would have been given the task of naming the child. (laughs) That blows my mind. Joseph was only a carpenter his entire life, yet he was the only man alive that was told the name because Mary did not have the legal right to name the child. So here's this humble carpenter that is given the greatest formula in history. And I'll tell you why in a moment. Only Joseph knew the name that would become the formula of salvation, healing and provision and redemption. And it's in Acts 4 and 12. Are you ready? Only Joseph knew the name, nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Wait a minute. If Joseph had not been willing to take the stigma of the supernatural, but not just that, If he had not been willing to embrace the ministry of the mundane, he lived his entire life. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the years of wondering? Just just think with me for a moment. The years of wondering, did I really see an angel? Some of you, did you have a dream? Did you get a prophecy? Did God really speak to you? Can you imagine him? Did I really see an angel? Was that really real? Did Mary just convince me of this and I kind of let her brainwash me, whatever? Then teaching the lad Jesus the skills of being a carpenter when you were told he was the Messiah and the son of the earth. Um, the years of just being faithful to the word of the Lord, that's called mundaneness. The years of just being faithful, having other children. He and Mary had other children living as far as we can tell, just an ordinary mundane life. But that one sentence, his name shall be called Jesus, changed history as we know it, it also is upon which our salvation hinges. So is it possible that Joseph lived his entire life to say one phrase, to be positioned in the right place at the right time to say one phrase? That's what I'm going to ask you today. That's what Bishop asked me all those years ago. I ask myself this almost every year, this time of year, I ask myself, can I survive the ministry of the mundane? Can I survive the the days that I'm praying, fasting, loving, working, giving, studying, visiting, going to hospitals, counseling with people, trying to keep myself together, trying to keep my families together. It, can I survive the mundaneness in order to be in position, to be ready, to be activated, to be full of the Holy Ghost, to be in the spirit, to be instant in a season, and to be able to have the clarity to know what one sentence that God may want me to say, what one sermon, one prayer, the one person I'm to mentor that could literally change the world. So here's the question in what areas of life, ministry, family, or career that you feel you're simply meandering through the maze of mediocrity and muddling through the malaise of the mundane? Could it be that in what you deem inconvenient, difficult, or at least ordinary, it's where you'll find the fulfillment you've been longing for? And your anticipation for the future, a new year's coming, new year's coming, new the future's coming, next is coming. The season of faithfulness in your now may actually be the catalyst for your next. Does that make sense? So my prayer today is, Lord, teach us to embrace and celebrate our seasons of the mundane that lead us to the revelation and the awareness of the Messiah i want to pray for you but this this may be more for me today but i just really feel that there's someone listening in this season i'm going to ask you look around embrace the ministry of the mundane and if possible embrace the stigma of the supernatural the stigma of the thing that God has asked you to carry, it may be poverty, it may be a season of sickness, it may be something going on in your family, your marriage, your career. I don't know what area seems so hurtful and I don't want it. This is so painful. Maybe so, but it could be something that God is birthing that could change the world. Amen. So, Father, I pray even now, anyone that's listened to this word, let the truth of this word just come alive. Let there be revelation. Let there be activation. And let there be a testimony that we would be able, like Anna, like Simeon, and even like Joseph, to obey the smallest of tasks in order to fulfill the purpose of God on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. See you next time. God bless.